listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're on 3RRR and it is our pleasure to uh, welcome two guests to this studio uh, from the Melbourne Theatre Company production called Astro Man. We are joined by director Sarah Goods and one of the lead actors, Camille Alice. Welcome to RRR. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having us. We are so in tune. So, look, to start off with, uh, it sounds like a pretty intriguing and hilarious stage show. Can you just give us a, an overview of what what uh, the, the play's about and, and what we're dealing with? Um, yeah, it is. It is quite a big, fun, happy, hilarious play. Um, but they also do, in the play, we do have quite some deep themes that kind of run throughout the whole play as well. Um, but, yeah, it kind of dives into the world of the 80s and what it's like to be a kid and an adult in the 80s as well um and yeah a beautiful coming of age but with a lot of difficulties as well would you agree yeah absolutely and um camille plays one of the lead characters and uh the the story centers around (coughs) two 13 year old boys who are twins and them uh, mum and their sister and a year ago they've moved from Townsville to Geelong and um, Camille's character uh, Jimmy um, is mad about uh, video games and of course they've just recently arrived in the early 80s and he has a particular brain which just soaks up the the technical information and um, he sort of comes alive with that kind of information essentially he's incredibly bright so he finds school pretty boring, um, but he discovers the Astro Arcade in Geelong in 1984, and it's his place. It's a place where he isn't picked on. It's a place where he feels at home. It's a place where he feels um, like he's the king of the castle in a way. And he becomes friends with uh, the proprietor of the uh, arcade, um, who's an older Greek man, Um called Mr Pavlis who's played by Tony Nicolopoulos and they um, end up becoming quite good friends and um, and a series of events happen because there's an, a town bully um, played by Nicholas Denton and uh, called Mick Jones and um, and so he's quite uh, the play also taps into the acute racism of that period sure. as well so some of it is uh, quite confronting to remember that I mean, you know, there's still many issues around now, but then back then it was just, it, it was just every day, you know. And so what um, Jimmy and his twin brother, who are First Nations, have to deal with is pretty, is pretty, pretty awful. So for for him to find a refuge where he can be away from that and protected from that is pretty special. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so this was originally a playwright by Maori uh writer is that is that correct yeah so the writer albert bells is a maori writer but he lived in geelong for a long time and his wife was from geelong and um and he said that you know he wanted to write a play while he was living here but he didn't want to write a play about white um australian kids he didn't feel like he could access uh their experience so he he wrote (coughs) he wrote this play and um it it first had its reading and a workshop done in 2015 at the National Playwriting um, Conference. And um, and I was working in Sydney at the time at Sydney Theatre Company and I remember the literary manager came back and went, oh my God, you've got to read this play. Um, and I could never understand why it didn't get put on. Um, ATYP, the youth theatre group up in Sydney, really wanted to do it. But it's a big cast, seven, um, is it seven? 
Seven or eight? Uh, yeah, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Seven, seven. Yeah, and um, it's too expensive, yep. you know, for a lot of the smaller companies to sure. do. So when I moved down here, I was like, you know, because it's set in Geelong, we should um, definitely do it. And Brett Sheehy, the artistic director, loved it. Um, and so it's a it's been a great opportunity to give a lot of. Um, I reckon the stars of the future sure. <laughs> of um, <laughs> of Camille and Callan and Tali and Elaine, who's already a star in herself. But these these guys are incredible, awesome. you know. And to find a play which allowed to showcase their work and their talent was such a find, and one filled with so much joy. Um, and it and there was a lot of questions about whether you know a Maori person can write this story, but. Um, we had a lot of conversations about it and uh, Tony Briggs, who's the associate director on it, who wrote The Sapphires, and Elaine, who are the elders in the room, um, you know, we talked a lot about the fact that, yes, it's a story about First Nations people, but ultimately it's a story about a family and the, and the main characters. It's not a story that's t- talking specifically to culture. Excellent. I mean, it's set in an arcade, Camille, and arcades kind of don't exist in the way that they did yeah. in the 80s and the 90s. How did, did you, how did you, I don't know, get into character or did you spend time in any arcades? Are there arcades around that I don't know of? I do know there's one arcade in... Um, Smith Street. Smith Street, ah. that's right. Yeah, because we did our, um, our promo shoot there. Oh, nice. Um, and I, I haven't gone there yet, but I should go there. <laughs> you went there um, for the photo shoot. I went there for the photo shoot, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, to get into character in a sense, um, we were very lucky to have some of the tech guys from MTC bring in a computer with a lot of the old arcade games on it. Right. Um, so we kind of had the 21st century version of the arcade games. <laughs> Um, which Elaine Crombie absolutely loved. It yeah, turned yeah. into a very big competition. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, su- it was supposed to be for the boys to learn it, but yeah. no one could get Elaine off it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. She was all over that. But, um, yeah, I haven't really had many experiences in my life with arcades. I definitely, as a younger child, got into games and I played a lot of, you know, like Xbox games and PlayStation games mm. and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, so yeah, this was this was really cool, especially riding around on all the push bikes and stuff as well in the show. We do a lot of um, push bike riding as well, which was taking me back to my younger years. BMX, and BMX, we watched yeah. and we watched at Karate Kid on the first day of rehearsal yeah. as well. Right. It's a big influence Ooh. on the on this on this play. Oh. Yeah, Camille, you've done quite a bit on TV um, yeah. <clears throat> as well, and so and in this kind of theatre production where you do have a big cast, you all seem like a quite a big happy family. Is it is it exciting as it looks? Yeah. Oh, this show is absolutely amazing. And the people on this show as well is, they're all phenomenal. I've constantly said that I love working for MTC. This is my second job with MTC. And this one is by far my favourite. This is absolutely amazing. This is a dream, dream job. It's beautiful, yeah. Cool. Did you, have you always wanted to be, an, have you always acted growing up um no my acting story is an interesting one um, he's got a great story we had him over for dinner and we just was like story after story after story <laughs> um my acting story i used to be a dancer um as a young kid i started from dancing from the age of two um and i quit dancing when i was about 13 and started playing ice hockey um, and I played ice hockey for two and a half years. Like and then, Mighty Ducks. Yeah, the Mighty Ducks. And then I ended up getting an email. Uh, to one, well, my mother got an email from my dance teacher asking if I wanted to try out for a role on the ABC. Um, and I did try out for it. And that was my place on uh, the ABC3 when it was ABC3. Um, and it was two weeks filming. And the first week I absolutely hated everything to do with acting. And I said, I'm never, ever going to do this again. 
Um, and then the second week I sort of liked it a little bit more and then just progressed from there, really. Just did a bunch of other small oh, the stuff. the bug borrowed its way it down. It did, yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did. And ever since I've stayed into it, it's amazing. I love yeah. it, yeah. He also flies. What? What yeah. do you mean? Do you have wings I'm or? my pilot's license. Oh, my God. Oh, what? She yeah. is. You're the most skilled person in the room. <laughs> <I feel. laughs> no offence, Sarah. <laughs> no, no, no. Hands no, down. No. Yeah. Um, so this way kind of looks back at the 80s. There's obviously a lot of nostalgia involved in uh, looking back, particularly at a place like Geelong, which is kind of like a big country town. You know, people talk about the Geelong footballers being their local plumber, you know, as well as being <laughs> going and watching them play at Cadinia Park. Um, but with with looking back at this time, obviously it wasn't all rosy. How do you kind of balance the nostalgia with also looking at some of the issues like the racism um, that existed at the time? Take this one away. You oh, okay. <laughs> speak better on this one. <laughs> well, we talked. To Nick Denton and I and um, and Tony Briggs. We talked a lot about um, the the bully's journey through the story. Is he has the biggest arc? Um, he and um, and one of the things we kept talking to him about was the fact that people uh, said racist things like they were reading the menu in a cafe. You know what I mean? Right. It was second nature. It wasn't... And it, and it also goes into that thing that that was normal. And I know that that sounds terrible because in height, you know, but uh, you had to sort of commit to that. Mm. You know what I mean? You had to not kind of apologise for it now. Do you know what I mean? Because then I think... and. Uh, Camille talks a lot about this and I think it's actually one of the things I love most about the play is that um, the the bully who who is racist does something really bad to the uh, the arcade and um, Mr. P ends up forgiving him for for what happened and what's really interesting is in a scene where Mr. Pavlis who's a much older Greek man who you know has a lot of pain in his life is teaching Mick Jones how to um, uh, do something else and find a focus in his life. And while he's doing it, Camille's character is watching. And what he's essentially watching is an older man forgive a younger boy for being racist or for being badly behaved. And he has redemption in it. And um, and Camille's talked about a lot, and I think it's really uh, beautiful that we see the story of forgiveness, that we all behave badly. And, and young kids can be influenced from their environment. And just because of it, they doesn't mean they don't have the capacity to change. Mm. And uh, and I think it's a really important um, story to be looking at right now. Absolutely. Uh, are we... Oh, yes, we'll <laughs> wrap it up. All right, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Just the end of the show. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for coming in, uh, Sarah and Camille. Thank you. Um, Astro Man plays at Fairfax Studio at the Arts Centre until 8th of December. So uh, if you're interested, and I certainly am, uh, make sure you get a ticket and get along. Definitely should. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Breakfasts. It's, uh, it's time to do Wednesday. Yay. Let's chat about Wednesday. You're excited because you didn't have to do it. Uh, it was my turn and I completed, absolutely 100% completed my dare. Uh, she did the worst this is, this is the worst I've seen you complete. This is the most I've seen Jez back out of a deer through fear, I reckon. Oh. No, 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 no. No fear there because I'd completed the dare. Look, you've got to fill me the in. The jury's out. In fact, Laura Dunham witnessed the dare and she said that we mm. could call her at 6.15 on Wednesday if I needed backing up. 
to prove that Geraldine did a half-assed completion of the day. I'm going to fill you in with what happened. We went to um, <clears throat> Monday night. We went to Granny Bingo. Oh, I saw that on Instagram. Yes. Uh, I didn't really know what that what, was. It's just bingo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair uh, but hosted, grandma. <laughs> hosted by um, some drag queens that are dressed as old ladies. Oh, they the people who did the comedy act in the car- yes. Oh, I saw them. And yes. they're very good. funny, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those exact people. So uh, it was... Uh, which are Granny Bingo, and it's so much fun. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. I had no idea what to expect. It's invited me along, and I thought it. I don't know. I don't know what I thought it would be, but it's it was hilarious. It's and actually, playing bingo is fun as well. Yeah, is it, it totally in and of itself? <laughs> Can I say it's funny? My mate Kelly that came <laughs> when I, I like I messaged some mates and went, "Hey, let's all go to Granny Bingo. Do you want to come Monday night?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm in." Um, and then she says, "I'll bring a plate." <laughs> she goes, "I'll cook something," and we're like. What? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, what do you think we're going to? <laughs> what did she think? I don't know. Is that, I thought was that maybe like, she was going, we were going to a proper bingo night. Like a bingo night. night. Oh. Is that maybe what you do at proper bingo nights? I don't know. Maybe if you're going with your grandma. <laughs> so funny. It was oh, so it's like funny. RSL club bingos. You I'll bring, bring a, plate. a plate. Yeah. God, I wish she had brought a plate. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, actually, it's probably a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we went to we went to Granny Bingo, um, and so we were discussing, you know, having a bit of a chat, and it was like, oh, you should, I should be given a dare. And Jess, to be fair, had been asking me for a week for a dare, and then I forgot about it, and then and I remembered at Granny Bingo that you needed a dare. Yeah, and then Laura, because the Laura time. was there with us, <laughs> Laura steps up and she goes, I've got one. I've got one already, and we're like, oh, here we go. And then she said you have to yell out bingo and not when it's bingo, not when you've got oh. bingo. And this that was the, it. That was the dare, right? That was it. That was That's in the context of the fact that already in a one round, three people had yelled out bingo, gone up, and they had didn't have bingo, and they'd kind of been belittled by the grannies in mm. a, quite a hilarious fashion. So yes. this was thinking she's going to have to do this, go up to the front of the stage, and everyone's going to have sure, a bit of a laugh. you can all have... You know, you think how it, how your dare's going to go, but that's out of my control, isn't it? What do you mean? It's out of my control. How I do my part of the dare. And what they react? What how they react is not. Yeah, it's not up to me. We meant that you had to call out bingo so that they heard. Oh, okay. So fill me in what what happened. So first of all, I yelled at. I did yell at bingo. And she said you had to do it twice. Yeah, oh. and then it's like, oh, it's then it goes, you do oh, the dare up the and then end. they change it. Because oh, yes. she did it really badly. So tell, no. them, tell them the first effort that you <laughs> no, did. No, do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> she, basically went, she basically went like this, bingo. No, I did yeah, not. I did not. I yelled at bingo very loudly, but there was a lot of other things going there was on. Lots, no, everyone, there was a guy who'd stumbled in off the street who was... Uh, who'd oh, grabbed yeah, that's it. right. That's when I did yeah, it. Yeah, who like, grabbed... Well, like a, like rough a, sleeper or something. No, like a m- man who looked like he'd come. He had a few knockoff drinks. He just wanted oh. a cigarette. That's yeah. why he came. Yeah. He was just asking everybody, everyone for a cigarette. Yes. And he got a hold of the microphone at one point, and that everyone was a bit distracted by this man. Yeah. Who so I was doing it. What's going on? Yes. And it was. I was doing. Try, thought I'd try and do a double service and yell out bingo as a distraction. For the for the oh yeah right I I'm on serious side now that's that's not good and we were right down the back of the room so the front of the room was where all the bingo stuff was happening is a long room we were right down the back and while one of the, the grannies were roaming and yeah, at this point one was up the back anyway I yelled at bingo nobody heard me and then they went you have to do it twice I'm like 
and because there was no uh, in the beginning. Also, by this stage, no, we were on a game where not num one one number had been called. Yeah. So she couldn't, you know, she was going bingo, and it's like you couldn't even think. The whole point was that we wanted her to be humiliated. <laughs> that is after yes. all the point. Of <laughs> so this is why, because that was your intention. This is why I absolutely hundred percent think that I believe that I completed this day because I was absolutely humiliated. I'd say that. I'm sorry, no, I'm so next filming. time, Why were next you time, okay, next time, uh, we're like halfway through a game, and then oh no, someone finishes the game, they yell out bingo, right, and then they take their card up and they've got, and then so while that's happening, I stand up up the back in the middle of the room, yelling out bingo. Bingo multiple times and every there's like five tables sitting around me all in silence looking at me like I going, what are you doing? And I had to turn to them and go, oh, is it just do I not get bingo? Yeah, there's only one bingo. And they're like all these like judgmental people looking at me just going, yeah, to, yes, to, it's just what, to be like, fair, what not, are you not doing? understanding the rules of bingo. To, yeah. But I felt like at this stage so much had happened that was humi- like humiliating and hilarious in, in the room that yours on the proportion of – on a scale of 1 to 10, your humiliation was very low and I think we expected it, it to be more. What? what? How much humiliation? That's could, like yeah. – that's like uh, talking to the grannies, having then humiliate everyone's in on that joke. That's not humiliating oh, I don't at know. all. I, I don't think people were judging do, do you. Do you think there's been an escalation oh, on this? Oh, mate. You... <laughs> do, do you think... Right. What's I'll the give worst it to you. I'll give it to you. Thank do you, you think there's been an escalation of the level of humiliation that's expected of Wednesday? Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's having an audience for your Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. It's If yeah. you just had dared me to yell at bingo at an inappropriate time at bingo, I would have gone and... You know, done the you know, and oh. I'd, but we wouldn't know, would we? We'd be like, ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, mm. Being there to witness, like we were there to witness you, Jeff, and I was there to witness Jez. So now it's also having a witness. Mm. So kind of ups it. What's the verdict on this? Is this done or not? Absolutely, it's done. It's done. It's done. Yes, it's done. Okay. It's done. <laughs> it was humiliating. Do you know what it's like as a comedian to stand they there? Known, they would have known you were a comedian. Oh, the people looking at me. Going, what are you doing? Did not know I was a comedian because they, they were not you were laughing. Who didn't understand me. Yeah, they yeah. thought I was an idiot. And also, to be fair, me and Dunneman were just sitting there going, like, kind of staring at it. Like, we weren't responding like you'd respond to a friend who thought they had a big go. <laughs> just everybody. Imagine a room full of people just staring at me, going, "What are you doing?" I don't want to wake Dunneman up though, but I would like, I'd like her opinion on this. Maybe as well. we can get her on a bit later on. Yeah, give her a call a bit later on. Maybe, 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 maybe. we will. But guess what else happened? At- Granny Bingo. Oh, we won. <laughs> oh, what La- did you... well, we didn't. Laura won, but, yeah, I but took... not even Laura. It yeah. was... <laughs> Jess had another friend there who had to go home early. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she gave us her bingo card and goes, "So you just finish it for us." And then in the last round of the night, that's the card that won. Yeah. Oh, we won the win? meat tray. We won a meat tray. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Which is kind of funny because the other prizes for like a glass, you get a bottle of wine or... There was like a 50... I think the other big prize was like a $50 drinks voucher. Yeah. Uh, and then it's... The meat trace is kind of vaguely disgusting. <laughs> oh, oh, it was mate, kind of gross really having was. it in front of us. And then, I, and then Jez is like, oh, let's sit, you know, we can divide it up. And I thought I'd take the lamb chops. But then I was, then I was a bit disgusted. Yeah, so it's all we gave it all to Kath, and she's going to cook it up. She's going to have a massive cook up. No. Yeah, chicken Meat. and lamb, <laughs> some oh. kind of disgusting, all mixed up casserole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, foul. All right, that's it. who's next? 
Jeff. You? Oh, we've already got a oh. Jeff. No, oh. back to Jeff. We've oh, already yeah. we've already got a Jeff. Yeah, here. what is it? The one that someone emailed in. Jeff Stare. It was something about you. Oh, oh that's what not was be it? Good, is it? It was it was yeah, you no, having to dress up as something. Oh, here, Wednesday. Oh, here we go. Here. They said, oh, I'd love uh but this year we've kind of done this, but this day said, so I'd love a Jeff poem ode to the Vols in a Hepcat or Beatnik theme, complete with goji beret and shades. Oh, oh okay, Pretty hard so to do that on radio. No, uh, no, we that's why you're going to film it oh. and then we'll put it up somewhere. And on a street co- on Burke Street. Oh, come Ooh. on. <laughs> you, you just are feeling you're the instigator of this. The, the dares are at a reasonable you know level yeah, and you, you add some <laughs> next level. You can say no. It's so it. funny. I asked you to go trick-or-treating. It's like, no, that's too hard. It's too much. It's not fair. <laughs> on, on a it's day that wasn't fair. Halloween, I'm going to get arrested for that. Oh. I'm going to legitimately get arrested walking around the house. I'm going to have to read a stupid poem on the radio. I've got to do it on bloody Burke Street corner. Yeah, you could. See arrested. how much money you can make. <laughs> Excuse me, he could get arrested for that as no, well. No, he couldn't. Yeah, not having a busking license, oh, absolutely. don't make a busking, then you're just doing it <laughs> as a gift to the people. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're listening to Breakfasters. Um, when I was uh, a kid, where, where we grew up, there was a... A hill behind, like quite a big hill behind. It's like um, a Mordor. Sure. <laughs> yes, but it was called. We called it Red Light Hill. We found out many years later it was someone else called it One Tree Hill. Like it was oh. just oh, like the TV show. Yeah, exactly like the huh. TV show. But oh. we called it Red Light Hill because there was a red light on. It was where the radio transmitter was. Oh, right. And so it would, oh, you know, just, it'd be. My a, mind went to different places when you called it Red Light. <laughs> yes, I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but it just it literally had a red light on it Fair enough. Um, and it was always this thing where you know because we lived quite close to it, it was like if you went bush walking you'd go walk up to the top of red light hill right, right. and you'd and often there'd be cross country runs through it and, and stuff like that um and i uh have always said that i um had climbed up to the top of Red Light Hill. Always people like, have you ever been up there? Like, yeah, I used to, you know, walk up there all the time as a kid, r- right up to the top. Can I? I've never told this anyone before, but I have never walked up to the top of Red Light Hill. <sighs> Why not? Did you ever go halfway up and yeah, just sit abso- down? Absolutely. <laughs> and you- always, always, I'd absolutely would go walking up in the general area. Yeah. I'd get about halfway up. There's, there was a big boulder that you could sit on and kind of look out at the view, but I never went further than that. And did you pretend that you went further yeah, every time? Every time. It was like, yeah, yeah, I've been up to the top. Did you want to go to the top of Red Light Hill? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> it's like this. Is it that hard? No, it's not hard at all. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Why would you stop then? And why would you lie to people about it? Well, just because everyone else is doing it and I just got... Why didn't you just keep going? I got tired. I was getting late. I had to get home. And other stuff to do. Put things on. But but how long did you live there for? Oh, until, you know, I was 18. So you had quite a long time together. Yeah. It wasn't just once off. No, it was many, many times. Were you always going by yourself? Uh... Yeah, yeah, oh. it was, and I, I, I do remember one day um, wanting to run away. Oh no, I wasn't running away from home. It was just 
I just would set out on a mission. This is when I was quite young, I think. I must have been about eight or nine years old or something like that. And I just looked up and I looked up at the top and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to the top of that hill. I don't care. I'm just, I'll, I'll walk through people's backyards. I just wanted to go straight up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I'm yeah, just no going to get out. Just no mucking about. Just walking. Because once it, to get there, we had to, you'd walk through like a, there was a big, massive empty block of land behind our house like you know to get to it so you'd walk through the paddock um and that was you know that's all filled with houses and stuff now but you could just walk through the paddock and i thought i know there's a few houses and stuff up there but i'll just i'll just keep going i'll just keep going and then i don't think i even made it to the houses on this particular show just, just walked through the paddock and got distracted by something. <laughs> I mean, it might have but I was I, just, You know what I'm more concerned about is that for some reason you were constantly going on massive walks by yourself at a young age. Yeah, yeah. Maybe but you shouldn't have been yeah, but that allowed was to do that. Or was yeah. it? Yeah, right. Were they massive walks though? Like how, how high is this hill? Oh, it would have been, I reckon, about a 5K walk. Right. So not huge. Not huge. No, really big at all. As an eight-year-old. Sure. But as an 18-year-old. I was going to say, you lived there until you were 18, so you had a few years to... Yeah, I could have gone... Why don't... And also, how old are you now? At one point as an adult, have you not gone, all right, I'm going to... Conquer this fear. Conquer this. Yeah. Well, no, it's not a fear. It's just more that I... You know, when... A mental block. Yeah, and also I convinced myself that I'd been up to the top. Ah, ah. So I was really like, I've it, done that. Need to do it again. The lie became a truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just gone. Couldn't like, even admit it to yourself. Yeah, I don't even need to walk walk up there. Like, I've done it in my and, um, mind. Do you know what's up there? Is there anything good up there? Probably not. <laughs> Probably <laughs> just just a radio transmitter. It's just a weird thing to lie about. Like I remember as a kid. I know, right? A guy broke into our house. Like, I wasn't there. But Dad dad and Mum came home and they found this guy broke into the house <gasps> and Dad chased the guy and caught him. Poor guy to break into Kevin's house. Like, the worst person oh. you could have choose. Anyways, and Kevin caught him and sat on him. But I remember telling this story at school and as, as the story evolved, I was always there. I definitely wasn't there, but it became my... You know, oh, and I'd yes. be like, and then we saw him and he was scrambling over the back and then Dad grabbed a screwdriver and then, you know, it was this... It became this... And I inserted myself in the story so much that I actually can now see this event. I have no idea what that man looked like. I don't know who the robber looked like. I, mm. I was this before I was born. I have no – but I can understand why I – I can – I know exactly what it looks like at the top of Red Light that's Hill. That's what I mean. So, yeah. yeah. But also, like, I get why me as an eight-year-old maybe wanted to insert myself into a story about a robber because it's exciting. But why I don't understand why you as an eight-year-old. <laughs> well, I told everyone. like when 200 you- more metres <laughs> – when you were inserting yourself into the story about the robber, were there limits? <laughs> I didn't have this up, should I? As to how far you thought you could go. Like, because I get, oh, I totally get it. You know, you sort of, this exciting thing happens in your life. You kind of want to be part of it. But did, were you ever tempted to say, and then I was the one who tripped him over or I helped my father sit on him? Or did no. you just think that would be not believable? No, I, I was never, I was never, We stu- I said I stood around him while our neighbour, because actually what happened was dad punched the guy and broke his nose anyway. Um, <laughs> and our neighbour had to come and sit on the, dad got the neighbour to sit on the robber. And he, in the story, I'd say, and I was standing around and, you know, we were watching him. His nose bleed. Wow. Anyway, it's kind of messed up <laughs> now. I think, but I'm saying this out loud. If your neighbour came over, and said, "Can you just come over and sit on this robber? Sit on this robber for us?" Yeah. But haven't you ever like claimed to have done something that you that you haven't? Yeah, yeah. Or um, become a part of something like that? 
Yeah, I, I feel like I still do that. I'm and oh. um, probably don't want to. <laughs> I feel like I'll start, talk, in it now. <laughs> start talking. All the things will come out that I never actually. And never actually. No, no, totally. I, I totally get the. Something exciting happens, and you you want to make yourself part of it. I totally get that. Yeah, but it's also it wasn't. Although now that I think about it, climbing to the top of that hill doesn't actually sound no, that no, exciting. It, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't about it being exciting. It's about you know if someone asked you, "Have you ever made cupcakes?" and you'd go, "Yeah, I've totally made cupcakes." And maybe you actually haven't specifically. I don't think I have specifically made. Cup- I'd say yes though. You're yeah. right. Can't be bothered saying no. Yeah. Because sometimes you've basically done. That's what it is. Sometimes you've Basi- basically done something. Yeah. yeah. Like I've baked other things. I haven't technically ever baked. I baked cupcakes with my mum, but never by myself. So if someone said, "Have you baked cupcakes?" I'd probably say yes. Yeah. And so ask I've me been- if I've baked cupcakes. Yes, you, you have, have once Thank in you. your life, and they were great. We're still recovering from them. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like it was because I walked up there at some stage. It was like, yeah, I've been to the top. Oh, here's the thing. Why don't we? Oh, well, you're past your Wednesday. When are you next up at your hometown? Oh, probably I, I, by before next year. Maybe I could. I'll, I'll go yeah, there for a take, take, take a photo. Of I the want top. you to climb to the top of that hill. Yeah. And Do the power stand on the top. Pop cupcakes and, and then take them to the top of the hill and eat them. Okay, that sounds sounds like a lovely idea. And I want you to. <laughs> Um, <laughs> trip <laughs> over a robber. Yeah. <laughs> Sit on a robber. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Tune to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. The director is a play on at the Arts House at North Melbourne Town Hall from the 21st of November to the 2nd of December. To tell us all about it, we're joined by one of its creators and performers, Scott Turnbull. Welcome to Breakfasters. Cheers, guys. Thank you. This is a show about funeral directors. You were a funeral director for 21 years. How did you end up performing on stage? I met a, a lady once who came to Tasmania as part of a dark mofo festival um that turned into the director the lady was Lara Toms she's a performance artist and a director herself and she put together with a little bit of assistance from me and my team in Hobart the funeral party which was dark mofo's premier ball gala In 2016, a thousand people in a live active funeral home, 25 to 26 different artists, punk laser band walking through the chapel, all kinds of set up. So that's how I met Lara. Okay, so what happens in this show? Uh, There's a funeral director on stage, there's an artistic director. What do the two directors do? So the concept of the show was to get the, the direction from Lara for me to direct her as well so basically we'll we'll swap between roles for each other so she'll give me on stage direction as to what to do as a director of of theatre or a director of performance and I give her direction as to how to dress a corpse and what it is that I would have done in my role as a funeral director so is there a corpse on stage to be dressed um, we've not verified that yet. We've got a couple of volunteers, but we need to wait for their clearance of paperwork and that kind of thing. Ah. So, yeah, but we, we might get a corpse on stage, yeah. There you go. Wow. All right, being a funeral director is not a job that everyone does. How did you become one? In essence, probably fell into it. Like, I'm a third generation of my family to be involved in the funeral industry, so my dad's dad did it as a job, so to speak. My dad then did it with my mum 
when they went to retire, the business got sold to a multinational group and I stayed on as manager. So that's how, yeah, I rolled into that. But having grown up with parents as, as funeral directors, you're kind of around it the whole time. So it just seemed like a, a fairly easy step into funeral directing after I did my trade as a French polisher and antique restorer. So, What was that like as a kid growing up around funeral directors? Did it kind of expose you to death and and things like that at a very young age? I mean, obviously it exposed you to death, but yeah. did you get a greater understanding of it? Probably a greater understanding that you're not necessarily aware of at the time. It's not until those aware, those exposures relive in, in a slightly older time frame sort of thing. Yeah. So especially when I look back at my childhood now of, you know, racing around in the chapel while sitting in empty coffins with my brothers and sisters in Christmas holidays when you'd have to go to work with your parents, you'd think... That for us was a normal thing to do, but if you heard someone doing that now, you'd, it it mm. does sound somewhat odd. But yeah. you know, yeah, the yeah. the exposure definitely gives you a different levelling platform to look at the world. That's for sure. Yeah. D- did you ever have sleepovers at your place? Did you have friends at the come house? Up? Or yeah. At, yeah. No, not really. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We, we were though, we were that family. It's like, yeah. <laughs> So can you spell out for us what are the responsibilities of a funeral director? There's there, There's been a death. Is the funeral director the person that, th- that the family calls upon? What do you do as the director? Yeah, look, as a, as a stepping point, especially for me in Tasmania, the first point of contact generally was the funeral director and then from there setting up a time frame, obviously, to get together with the family and then finding out what it is that they wanted to do as as their funeral, farewell, celebration or whatever language goes around it nowadays. But just work, working through with families what it is they actually wanted to have. So that's the responsibility of a funeral director and following through with every single element of that and making sure that it is actually perfect and, and that there shouldn't be any regrets at the end of it. The death is one thing that we'll all experience, but how the outcome of the funeral takes place, that's the responsibility, in my opinion, of the funeral director. Having kind of worked in, in that industry for so long, have there been, this is a strange question, but have there been trends in in funerals? Have you seen something change in the way that people uh, approach funerals or the way that, yeah, funerals are held? Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, this is, for me, this is a real big step back into, whilst being an ex-funeral director, I don't see myself... That's X from the commercial sense of things, but I don't. I still don't identify as an artist yet, although I'm emerging and and hopefully accomplishing something in that format. Yeah. And I definitely see an existence back to funeral work from there. But the trend in funeral from the traditional, you know, church to chapel, that's a trend. Then from chapel to more, you know, identifiable places like backyards, beaches, parks. There, there has been. As we socially grow, we we get little bits of information more and more that help us change how we go about stuff. Mm. But we're really conservative, my opinion, still on this concept. And the director is a really good way of me getting to blurt 21 years of knowledge and what I reckon, based on the feedback from the families I've spent time with, what really should happen. Because the many families you do services for, they'd go, I wish we'd have done so I've taken a lot of those I've wishes we've done and put those into the last 10 years of my work quite heavy and the, the extremes of where people 
they're not extremes. The levels that people are going to now are really heartfelt and really, really creative and really cool to be involved in as an event. They're not a funeral. Yeah, right. Yeah. So is the aim for the show to kind of, um, you know, pull back the curtain, I guess, on... on Funerals oh, absolutely. Look, the curtains have been tied back for ages. People mm. are just too scared to walk to the front to have a look. Mm. It's as simple as that. No one sits at the front of the bus. And we have life where people will spend ages, like 12 months preparing a wedding, they'll spend ages figuring out where they're going on holidays and they'll know all about where they're going on their holiday destination and the one sure and certain thing that they're going to come to and they spend no time at all getting into it. And it's like, what is with it? Like, how come a guaranteed event that mm. has got some value to it if you value yourself or if you value your partner or your family or whoever it is around you, then if you've got value in it, put some time in it. Have a crack at it. Have a look at it. Put parameters around it to save some people some real pain, head-thinking things of, shit, is that the right piece of music? Was it that song? Maybe mm. it wasn't that song. Oh, I can't remember. And you and you won't in that time. This weird thing called grief just messes you up. So you need to get to a point where your clarity brain can put down some really solid versions of what you actually want. And then that means the creative bit gets to come out. So, yeah, I do want people to come up to the curtain and have a look behind it for sure. As someone working in the industry, is it uh, emotionally draining? I mean, you're dealing with people working closely with them on the worst day of their life, mm-hmm. life but that's your everyday working experience. Does, does that take it out of people working in the industry? Yeah, it does. There's a high and, – and I think that's probably a, a big part of why things don't change a lot in the industry because it's forever getting a new face. And so, therefore, it's not necessarily the individual fault of the person that's that's burnt out. It's just that it's a job, in my view, of of watching it for, like, I'm 46 now and I've watched it and watched mum and dad employ people and watched myself employ people. It's a job that chooses you, not necessarily... If you're going to go anywhere with it for a length of time, I I presume, but it's not a job that you go... Often you meet people and they go, oh, you're a funeral director. I've always always really wanted to do that. And there's a moment when they're saying that comment that statistically you can go, that's nice, isn't it? And you just know... As, as, a, as a gut feeling that that's not going to work out. And, yeah, it, it, high burnout is a big issue for sure. Yeah, as you said, this show is about kind of dis- demystifying death and the funeral process. What is the thing that people are most curious about when they find out that you've been a funeral director? Um, what's the question you think that people who are coming and seeing this are most likely to ask? <laughs> oh, there's a... There's tons, isn't there? So there's the whole there's the whole basic concept of do you recycle coffins and does it does do people still move when they're dead or does this happen or does yeah. that happen or will it really look like mum or will it you know there's just there's tons of them and yeah. that just there's no weird one because they're all relevant and if you don't know then you got to ask. It's like can I touch someone? Can I kiss them? Can I hold the hand? Um, can I bring my dog? Yeah. You know, right. yeah, and and it, it's lots of quite rudimental things that you think might not be related to a really tricky funeral question, but it's the time frame that makes the question seem odd. Like if someone says, "Do you want to bring your dog to work?" It's not an issue, but if you work in a funeral home and they say, "Oh, can we bring the dog because Dad and the dog are inseparable?" Then yeah, that yeah. might seem to them it seems like a weird question, but for us, it's just a home, so you bring everything. So. 
Yeah. Mm. It's not the questions aren't weird. Like I said, it's the time frame that becomes interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, it's an industry that can be exploitative? I mean, it's something that I've wondered about a, a lot that people are forced to make to consider quite substantial expenditure in a situation where they're overcome by grief. I could imagine unscrupulous directors would be in a position where they'd be able to, you know, shame people into buying very expensive coffins or whatever when they're overcome by grief. He's having a go, isn't he? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. That's what he does. The worst thing for me is this morning I've turned up and there was just nowhere to put the Maserati, so I've got somebody (laughs) literally driving it around the block now. So when he comes back, he's going to let Pepper out of my bag and take him for a walk. And and I'm not having... He's going to shit on your good carpet. (laughs) There, there is that – it goes back to the high turnover. The, the high turnover of staff and the high turnover of, of, of actual people dying, that's – you know, we hit that mark in the show as well for, for the my co-creator, Lara, had experience in this, in this format herself and it, it's one of those scenarios that, you know, brings this work to the floor for her as well. So, yes, there is opportunity for people to be exploited and it is, in my opinion – from the purpose of not having enough time to function their positions properly mm. and being pressured by the bigger multinational that drives the competition in death. And it's okay for competition, don't get me wrong, I've, I'm not saying that you sh- they shouldn't be allowed to make money, but I think the transparency on how anyone operates a business is is a key to how successful you can feel when you shut your eyes of a night. So there's... There's lack of information, yeah, definitely room for exploitation for sure. So many questions we could ask. If you have questions, be good to get along to the director. It's on at the Art House at North Melbourne Town Hall, running from the 21st of November to the 2nd of December. We've been talking to one of its creators and performers, Scott Turnbull. Thanks so much for coming. Cheers. Thanks, people. Themes are particularly loud today, but it's Friday, funny bug. It's time to welcome back Nat Harris. How are you going? I'm good, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. God, I'm feeling the pressure since I've been announced I'm presenting my best segment yet. (laughs) Because we're all struggling today, so I'm trying to make everyone around me better. Yeah, and pick it up. No, I really appreciate your confidence in me. It's all right. Let's go for it, (laughs) shall we? (laughs) Let me drag you three along with me. No. Um, I didn't mean that, guys. That's a fair call. got a bit of a dating segment for you today for Friday. Yeah, now you guys are... Can I relationship status, Geraldine? Yeah, in have in uh, one. In have one. one. Were you about to say in a happy relationship? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't rub it in. <laughs> Jeff? Yes, I last Rob, time. Married. Yes, last time married. Married. Yes. Yes, yes, in a relationship. Well, congratulations Thank to you. you all. Hold on to What about you? I am single, oh. believe it or not. Um, I'm out there. I'm dating. Footloose and fancy free. Footloose, fancy free. I'm on the apps. I'm dating in IRL. Cool. I'm dropping my numbers. And it is. It's cool. It's a roller coaster. Isn't it? It's it's fun. It's terrifying. It's horrible. (laughs) You laugh. You cry. What's your... Do you have like a go-to date place like what's what's your idea of a good date um this is a problem depends on the person i no i always um opt for an activity 
Mm. Oh, and yeah. I love table tennis. Oh. Yes. So I always push for table tennis. But oh. it always ends up the same. Like the courting process just ends in me like sledging them and, <laughs> and then I can't get out of it and it's just like this vicious cycle I get myself into. <laughs> I didn't realise sledging was a part of table tennis. Yeah, like, I, you know, I just like build up the banter <laughs> with the upcoming date of like, yeah, I'm going to be... Uh, and then do, you get, do you get a little bit too competitive? I do. It's is it problem. more about the table tennis than it the is, date? actually. Mm. I'm just okay. running out of friends to play table tennis with. Um, you know, just put the side up, mate, and play against yourself. Yeah, exactly. Forrest Gump style. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. Um, no, but basically, so what I'm talking about today is that we'll obviously talk about what you know. Mm-hmm. So um, today's segment is talking about getting out of relationships. Oh, okay. Not necessarily long-term ones. I hope all our partners listening then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is fun. But no, I think obviously you guys have dated at some point. Okay. Oh, yes. You've sure. courted, you know, mm-hmm. to get into your relationships. Yes. And sure. I think everyone out there, if you've kind of involved in this courting, dating, you will be familiar with a few sentences that are used a lot, okay, ah. when getting out of a relationship. Okay, ah. let's all say it together in unison. I've really enjoyed hanging out with you, but, but I should let you know I'm not ready for a relationship. Well done, guys. Exactly. So today's segment is about... Spicing up your breakup. Great. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Not your relationship. It's your breakup. Spicy breakup. Yeah. When you can't the... be bothered spicing up your relationship. Yeah. Well, spice up your breakup. I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically this is about making the breakup a bit more interesting for the sake of yourself, for yes. the sake of the person on the receiving end, and for the sake of their friends and family yes. who are going to hear about it because it's irrelevant. Again and really. again and again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. It's irrelevant what you say. Mm. It's ding dong done. Um, So, I guess, let's kick it off. I thought maybe you guys could try some of these. Oh, yeah, you've got some 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 breakups. Oh, yes, please. Um, Okay, you can take this one, Geraldine. You can choose who you break up with. I'll break up with Jeff. <clears throat> okay. And obviously, Things like... going so this, well. On his birthday as well. <laughs> oh, happy birthday, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Obviously, birthday, the scene's set. You said you needed to talk. Jeff has a suspicion what's coming. Mm. Maybe it's a sunny Saturday afternoon. Maybe that happened to me last weekend. Continue. <laughs> and so oh, I just I just read this out. Yeah, so Jeff's... You've, you've kind of already prefaced him that okay. something's coming. Yep, go, Geraldine. Mm. Nice to see you, Jeff. Um, oh, is it... <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, you remind me of my auntie Kath and she ended up in jail for tax evasion and I can't go through that again. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday. There we go. (laughs) Keep it rolling. You you can't deny that though. No, No, you can't. Jeff, you'd probably say something like, thank you for letting me know. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but it's a fair call. Yeah. It's a fair call. And look, it's intriguing, isn't it? I yeah. mean, reporting that back Who's to friends. Who's Kath? Mm. Yeah, exactly. All right. And You're you up, can't argue with it. No. Mm. All right. I'm going to break up with Geraldine. Great. Geraldine. Yes. I have a terrible migraine. And to be honest, I don't see it passing. 
<laughs> you have the right to rebuttal, Geraldine. Okay, yeah, I've I've never had a migraine before. Can't understand it. So, so I suppose we should go our separate ways. Then that's yeah. a good point you make. Yeah. Well, you've taken it very well. All that was very civilized. All the all the best to you, you mole. Oh, you <laughs> broke my heart. Oh, right after then, I just felt like you're going to shake hands and go your separate way. Migraine. Jeff, you get it to it, it's your <laughs> I mean, a migraine is the best excuse ever. Not necessarily for a breakup. I see, hearing that out loud, yes. I see that there are some issues with that. Right. But, you know, try it on. Look, if, if you... Okay, Jeff, you break up I'm with someone. I'm breaking up with Geraldine oh. in revenge. Okay. Via text, which is the best way. Yeah, isn't oh. it? Definitely the best way. Geraldine. Mm-hmm. Use your text voice, Geraldine. <laughs> <laughs> text voice, yeah. I'm oh, I've just got a text. I wonder what this says. Oh, good, Geraldine. Fantastic. Mm. I rolled myself into my yoga mat and the instructor locked me in the cupboard. <laughs> that, 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 that's it. I don't, I don't think I'm coming out. I was meant to write, don't wait for me. <laughs> oh, right. I don't think this relationship don't. is going to work, what with me being in the cupboard and you not being in the cupboard. You being in the cupboard. I can see what you're looking at, oh, Geraldine. Yeah, it's I'm Instagram. Def- I'm definitely out of the closet. <laughs> Devastated. I'll add, another thing, if you are constantly on the receiving end of this sentence, you know, I'm not ready for a relationship, blah, blah, blah. Some other advice I would give you is be on the front foot. Okay, yeah. I'll leave this. You know, Aww. I have now started ending all encounters with thank you so much. Oh, I really enjoyed time. our time together, mm. but I'm not ready for a relationship. And Are then you- my mum is like, well, do you still want to borrow that $200? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> um, so there you go. That I- has been my tips on spicing up your breakup. And guys, mm-hmm. I just want to let you know. That I've I'm, had a really lovely time. Thank you, Nat Harris. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.